All right, now, <clears throat> we're going through these chapters verse by verse, just giving an overview, not really getting into it real deep. And um, so it, uh, uh, it takes some time, but we'll, we'll keep moving here. And uh, whether who, who's here or not, we know there's people watching on live stream and then people archive it. So trying to get a good idea of what the book of Colossae is about. And the book of Colossians is written to the church at Colossae. And uh, so we're just going to get started here. And if you want to write things down, you may. If not, just listen up. Um, in verse number one of Colossians chapter number two, it says this, for I would that you would know what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. As we saw back in chapter number one, the apostle Paul did not plant this church. Okay. And we saw that in chapter one. Uh, and it says right here in verse 1 that these people had never seen his face. And, uh, and yet notice something here about Paul's heart. What does he say about this church he's never seen before? Verse 1, For I would that you would know what great conflict I have for you. And for them at Laodicea, which was just down the road. Laodicea and Colossae were churches in Asia. Laodicea is counted among the seven churches of Asia spoken about in Revelation 2 and 3. Colossae was just down the road, I think, about six or seven miles. And quite a radical different church. That's about the distance from here to Hilltop Baptist. If you can imagine that. But radically different when you read about Laodicea compared to Colossae. And it's funny how two churches just a few miles down the road can be so radically different. But you see that today. But he has great conflict for a church he has never been to. And uh, I think that's pretty amazing heart he has. Uh, you and I uh, need to realize that as, as for churches, um, we're all on the same team. And we should hope and wish and pray that all churches do well and pray for another. But he had, he had these people in his, his heart, and he had great conflict for them, even though they had never seen his face. The Apostle Paul did have a very unique place, and we saw that back in chapter 1. You've got to read chapter 1. He has a unique place in that God uses him as a pastor to all churches. Even to this day, uh, Paul is called in the book of Acts a pattern to all that should believe on Christ hereafter. I call him Paul the pattern. And uh, our greatest pattern is Christ. But God gave us another pattern, and that would be Paul. And boy, the things that he went through, wow. All in God's plan, so we would have someone to, to look up to kind of as a counselor. He makes a statement nobody else has ever made. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. he said this, Besides those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care... Of all the churches. 
the care of all the churches. So I like to say to people, if there ever really was a pope, first pope, it wasn't Peter, it was Paul. Paul had the care of all the churches, and, and, and you can see that coming out here in verse number one. He's never been there, but he has great conflict for them. And for the church at Laodicea that he had never been to. In uh, his heart is also shown, for instance, in Galatians 4.19, uh, when he says these words, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Those at Galatia, he, he, he talked about leading them to Christ was like travailing in birth, which some women know if they've had children. But now he travails in birth for them again a second time until Christ be formed in them. He wasn't, he wasn't just in such anguish to see him get saved, but then after they were saved, he was just in anguish and travail to see them become conformed to the image of Christ. I don't just want you to be saved. I travail in birth again till Christ be formed in you. I want you to go far beyond that and become like the Lord. And so what a unique fellow Paul was uh, in his love for churches. His love for churches. And by his writings that the Holy Spirit gave him, he continues to pastor churches. I don't know of a pastor on earth or a missionary on earth who doesn't reflect upon Paul all the time and say, oh, what did he do? What did he say? And and how he put so many things in order. Even the gospel we preach, Paul called it my gospel. And uh, he talked about how he had received it from the Lord, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. When it came to the Lord's Supper, he says, I delivered unto you that which also I received. And then he talked about how we should have the Lord's Supper. And, and, and I know when I pastored for 40 years, how many times I just uh, relied upon Paul and said, well, what did Paul say about this? <clears throat> now, what was it in verse 1 that caused his conflict? In verse 2, and by the way, the reason he knew so much about this church at Colossae is because he was in prison with their pastor. Back in chapter 1 and verse 7, a guy named Epaphras was a fellow prisoner of Paul. And Epaphras was just telling him all about the church at Colossae. And um, wouldn't that be amazing if we, we just heard about a church out in, you know, Pennsylvania that we've never been to. And we heard they're going through some things and we just became consumed with praying for them. And uh, wanting them to do well. Boy, that that that'd be a good That'd be a good thing for our country. I mean, there used to be so much competition between churches, it was sickening. It was. I lived through that. It was sickening to see. And God was not pleased with that at all. And uh, we, we need to support each other and pray for each other. Now, why the conflict? Verse 2 says here that their hearts might be comforted. Okay, there's one conflict because their leader was in prison. Now, we don't know the need for this comfort here in America because we don't go to prison. We hardly have any persecution at all. Uh, But I'm sure the the brethren from Bulgaria that are here tonight, you know, they've seen their dad arrested and and things like that, and I'm sure it caused them some conflict. And 
And so he's trying to comfort them. He says, yeah, I'm in prison here with Timothy, and I'm in prison here with Epaphras, your minister and everything, but I have great conflict for you so that you'll be comforted, that your hearts might be comforted. It's going to be okay. He tries to comfort the church. Then second of all, being knit together in love. He wants them to be knit together in love. And what a loving church, what an amazing church this was, as we saw a few weeks ago when we studied uh, chapter number one. And I'm sure that any kind of a uh, church needs to be knit together in love. We have a church plant going out here in Perrysburg. It's three years old now. I love going there. But I don't know why. There's like three ladies who knit all through uh, the sermon every week, you know. And I, I don't stop it. Pastor Ben doesn't stop it. They're just there like... We got a blind lady. She's... I don't know how she puts the colors together. It just fascinates me anyways. But boy, you ever try to pull that knitting apart once they've got a knit? It's kind of hard to do. And our knits should be, our, our hearts should be knit together in love, man. We, we shouldn't be able to be separated very easily. Some of these people in and out of the churches and stuff, like it's nothing. I, I don't know. That's, that's not, Paul wants them to be knit together in love. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Now that's a loaded statement. The more you understand, the more full assurance you will get, the richer you will feel. All right, if you just read that backwards. The more understanding of God and the knowledge of God and the Bible you get, the more assurance. It gives you full assurance. No doubts. I remember being a babe in Christ for 10 years, man. I doubted my salvation. But then when I got the full assurance of the scriptures, or the knowledge of the scriptures, it gave me full assurance. And then that made me feel rich. Man, I am saved. I'm saved forever. Praise the Lord. And so he wanted that for this church to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now, this is a reflection here, that last statement back on verses 25 through 27 in chapter 1 that says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. See, they didn't didn't know that. We know that better today because we're almost 2,000 years down the road. But the mystery that the prophets and uh, priests and everybody in the Old Testament look forward to, what's this, this mystery about it is now revealed, and it's Christ in you. That God was going to inhabit human bodies. And Christ is in you. And that you, you would have, verse 2 now, the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now this is important because uh, everybody needs to know Christ is in you. Uh, he's never going to leave you. He'll never forsake you. And what was once a mystery to them is now revealed to us. But notice the exaltation of Christ in verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this is an important statement coming up. Because Colossae was based on education the uh, culture of that day uh, being, you know, 
smart-wise, worldly-wise. And so Paul is saying, now, if you understand the mystery of God, which is Christ in you, that this, that this Christ who is in you, in him is hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You name the subject, Christ is an expert at it. Uh, we think of Christ maybe as an expert in the spiritual realm and, and everything else is over here. No, no. I, I was at the doctor's today. I got to do something with my right knee. And he gets down the book on anatomy and he's showing me how the knee is made. And, and I had this because I studied this for tonight. I had this thought, you know, Christ wrote everything in that book of anatomy. Every single thing in that book and more that he knows about anatomy. He knows all about the human knee. In him are hid all of the treasures of wisdom and uh, knowledge, no matter what the subject. If I was an engineer, I would ask Christ to help me every day. If I was uh, building a bridge, expansion bridge, if I was an architect and I was designing a skyscraper, I would ask Jesus Christ to help me every single day. If I was a brain surgeon, I would ask the Lord Jesus Christ to help me every single day. If I was a mechanic fixing cars, I would ask Jesus Christ to help me fix cars every single day because he knows it all. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now they're hid, we've got to search them out as, as for treasures, like it tells us in Proverbs chapter number 2. Uh, but this is... Uh, like that one doctor, we always talk about him. What is his name? I always forget his name. Huh? Ben Carson. Ben Carson, yeah, the, the, the black doctor. Remember him? And he was the one that separated conjoined twins for the first time. Remember that? And, and up till Ben Carson came along praying that God would help him, you had to make a decision as a parent. Which one's going to live? Which one's going to die? That was the only option. And Ben Carson started praying to Jesus Christ every day before he went to work. And he learned how to separate conjoined twins. And now that has become the model in the world uh, to follow because he prayed that Jesus Christ would help him as a doctor. When I get my MRI done on my knee, the amazing images, that was a born-again Christian who designed that machine, who asked the Lord to help him. And you'd be amazed at how many inventions down through history have come from the minds of born-again, Bible-believing Christians who prayed and said, God, give me wisdom. Lord Jesus, help me. Because in Christ are hid all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's why. Now, why does he bring that up? Because verse 4 says this, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Now, he's going to pick this up a little bit later in verse number 8. So skip down there. Because now remember, this is, Colossae was all based on education. Uh, worldly education. And he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So the subject here is education. Have you ever noticed in churches these days 
Uh, and, and I believe among evangelicals, it's, it's close to 90% of the youth that grow up in evangelical churches forsake the church at age 18 and never embrace their faith again. You know why? Because they go off to the, the universities and the colleges to get a real education. And there they are indoctrinated and, and, and they're told pretty much from day one, now it's time for you to give up those fairy tales and fables about Jesus and religion and all that kind of stuff. And it's time for you now to get a real education. And pride sets in. And that's what was happening here. He, he said in verse 3, I want you to know that in Christ are hid all the treasures of knowledge or, or, or of a wisdom and knowledge Verse 3, so verse 4, lest any man beguile you with enticing words. Verse 8, beware. (coughs) Beware lest any man spoil you. And that's the picture of a piece of fruit going bad. A person can go bad through philosophy in vain. That is empty lies or traditions of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. When my wife and I were down at the Ark Encounter this, this year, there's this amazing display you got to go see where Ken Ham has put up all of these uh, books, professionally made books on Noah's Ark. It's, it's about the saddest display in the place. And it's got all these pictures, like precious moment pictures of the Ark, and here's the, you know, Noah and his wife, and they're smiling, and the giraffe's heads are you know, uh, sticking over, and they're all smiling and everything. And, and he's got these seven books and what they say that these artists have put in the hands of little boys and girls to make them think it's just a little bit of a fable, a little bit of a fairy tale. And the deceit in those books, so that, when the kids grow up and get out of church and then go to the university, then they get their, now we're going to get our real education. And there they learn humanism and Marxism and communism and socialism and, and all these other things by the, the real smart. And they, they look at the churches and the pastors, the people as a bunch of dunces, and they leave that behind. This is the warning Paul's trying to give these people right here. He says, if you want wisdom and knowledge, you'll find it in Christ and Christ alone and not in the world. And they'll spoil you through their philosophies. And boy, it happens real fast when they go off to the colleges and everything. So you be careful about that if uh, you need to go to college. And some people do. I mean, some for ministry. That's wonderful. That's different. Bible college. But but some we, we need in, in the fields of nursing and doctors and engineering. We need that, but you've got you to be careful. Um, just like those books down there make Noah's Ark into like one big precious moments, funny fairy tale coloring books for kids. No, God violently destroyed the world for a year and flooded everybody. And... Uh, He just stuck everybody like in a washing machine for a year, violently. Uh, That's what we should be teaching kids. That's what we should be teaching kids, the truth. 
For though I be absent in the flesh, verse 5, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now, wait a minute, I thought he hadn't been there. Why would he say this? He got this from their pastor. Chapter 1, verse 7, his name's Epaphras. Chapter 4, verse 12, tells us more about Epaphras. When you're in prison, I suppose you've got to talk about something. And uh, Epaphras was just telling them, and though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. I'm glad that's in the Bible because you and I don't necessarily have to be somewhere to be somewhere. We maybe can't be there in the flesh, but we can be there in the spirit. I've been hurting lately for Temple Baptist Church in Powell, Tennessee. Their pastor died. I've been praying and praying and praying for them. God helped that church stay together, Crown College and the work in England, all the missionaries. We need them. You know, I'm not there, but I'm there in spirit. I'm there. I hope you are too. I hope that I hope that the church and the, the kingdom of Christ means everything to you. Now, this church had some good things about enjoying and beholding your order. Order brings peace. Let all things be done decently and in order. Order brings fruitfulness. If you have an orderly prayer meeting, if you have an orderly soul winning uh, uh, opportunities or whatever, orderly music program, orderly teaching, discipleship program, Sunday school teachers, children, whatever, and and you put everything, your finances in order, you can do so much more uh, when a church is done in order. And so that gave him joy and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So now he's going to give them instructions. Verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Don't stop at salvation, but walk. Walk in Christ. Walking is a visual aid. You know, if you see someone walking down the road, you say that person is alive. That person is making progress. That person is advancing. But you see somebody else alongside the road in the ditch just laying there, you wonder, are they dead? Are they unconscious? What, what happened? And so it is with the Lord. If we get saved and then start walking in him, start making progress in him spiritually, advancing, uh, there's motion. I know there's times where we're waiting on the Lord, but you, you stay in motion during those times. It's a good sign. I want to encourage you to be progressing. Paul told the church at Corinth that they should be forward a year ago. There's a good, there's a good, uh, there's a good text, brother uh, Brent. And uh, but uh, for for New Year's Day, you should be forward a year ago. And um, we we should be walking. So don't just get saved. Verse six. Walk in Him. Then get rooted. That's that's grounded down and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. <clears throat> and so here's some rudiments of the Christian faith right here. Get, get rooted in Christ. Don't just know him. Get rooted in him. <clears throat> Learn as much as you can in him down deep in your soul. Then get built up in him. Be established in the faith, which means to become unshakable. Unshakable in the faith. As you have been taught. We need to be taught, okay? So 
I mean, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Bible to teach us, but God has also given us preachers and teachers and maybe Christian parents and deacons and, and, and maybe some good books, but there needs to be a teaching time, and that should never end. And we should be abounding therein with thanksgiving, because that's like the best medicine for your soul, is gratitude. That'll keep you, if you just thank God for his blessings and his benefits every day, I don't think you'll ever get distracted or derailed. But we've got to watch out for that complaining. Then we get back to verse number 8 where he said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditional man and the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. And then he comes back to exalting Christ as he did in verse 3. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All right, it's, it's all in Christ. It's all in Christ. In him dwelleth all. Don't let this world tell you, oh, Christ is, you know, that's, just, that's for old people, senior citizens, you know, and Sunday school people. And that. No, no, in Christ is hit all, or is dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Let us remember him that he is God. And uh, uh, we saw that back in chapter 1, too. Uh, one, 1 in verse 19 said, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So he's all we need. He's all we need, uh, Jesus Christ. Verse 10, And ye are complete in him. Boy, that's nice. Uh, you're incomplete without him but you're now complete with Christ. Nothing more need, is needed. Uh, Christ is all I need, what one of the hymn writers wrote. Christ is all I need. And uh, he is the head of all principality and power. Now at the top of your sheet, you, you see again that that is the theme of the book of Colossians. The deity of Christ and that Christ is the head of all. So again, the world diminishes Christ and makes him think, oh, that's something for kids, you know. And, and, you know, after you're about 13, you don't really need much of him. And then 18, forget it. You can leave him behind in the rearview mirror and you'll just do fine without him. No, you won't. Uh, no, you won't. Uh, you may be a success in this world for a short time, but uh, you'll wish you had embraced Christ and kept him. You're completed him, which is the head of all principality and power. Wow, that's quite a statement. Because all principalities and powers, that, that, that means everything in the spiritual realm, the good powers, the good principalities, the evil powers, the evil principalities. You even see the book of Job. Satan was absolutely powerless to do a thing against Job without the Lord's permission. And uh, praise the Lord for it, because, uh, you know, you and I probably here tonight have no clue how much the Lord restrains the evil. I, I mean, if, the, if evil was unrestrained, all of us would be dead by tonight, uh, because uh, we're not uh, appreciated very much. But uh, the Lord, uh, he is the head of all principality and power. Every, every kingdom, every power, every government is going to bow to him someday. Every tongue is going to confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone. And, um, you know, so uh, we need to exalt him and worship him and stay close to him. 
In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, and by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, and hath raised him from the dead. Now what we have here is, is Paul has talked about Christ. Christ is all you need. He's the head of all principalities and powers. And he has performed on you the circumcision made without hands. Because here's what was happening in Colossae. Colossae was Gentile, okay? But there was so much Judaism still attached to Christianity that there was a a separation being taken place uh, during the first century. And these here at Colossae, as we'll read in the rest of the book in the next few chapters, we're starting to think that they were maybe missing out on something because they hadn't been circumcised. And we're starting to get into a big word called asceticism, which now is something, the second warning Paul's going to give this church. The first is watch out for education, which we believe in education without a doubt, as long as it's good, you know, Biblically-based, God-based education. We're all for it. And, but now watch out for asceticism because these Jews are going to try to bring their religion into your Christianity and they're going to make you think you're incomplete in Christ because you haven't been circumcised yet. In fact, they went so far in Acts 18.1 to say that if you're not circumcised, you can't be saved. All right? So he's, <coughs> he's preempting that strike in writing here. And he's saying, look, the circumcision that's made without hands, that is Christ separating you apart from the world, is good enough. All right, it's good enough. And the Abrahamic covenant, the Old Testament covenant, uh, circumcision, okay, circumcision, in the Old Testament, uh, Abrahamic uh, covenant, was uh, a Jewish thing, and uh, it was a symbol in the Old Testament, a shadow, a symbol of, of being set apart from the world unto God. Our New Testament covenant equivalent is, verse 12, baptism. Uh, they had circumcision, we have baptism. Baptism is what shows us being raised in newness of life. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, and hath raised him from the dead. So that baptism is supposed to be the moment in a brand new saved person's life where they now said, I'm dead to this world. And I am set apart from this world. Uh, whereas the Old Testament Abrahamic covenant circumcision showed that they were supposed to be uh, separated unto God. When did that happen? Eight days old, not very long after. When is a new convert supposed to give their whole life to Christ? Not very long after. There were people in the Bible baptized the same day they were saved. And they say, and it was supposed to say, hey, you're regenerated now. You're born. This is a burial. Okay, we're burying the old man, raising the new man to walk in newness of life. 
And uh, so that's why, if you're wondering why 11 and 12, why circumcision and baptism? Because they, they picture the same thing. But he's saying to these at Colossae, baptism, salvation, and your baptism is enough uh, to show that you're separated completely unto God. You don't have to go back into this Old Testament ceremonialism of circumcision. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, verse 13, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So he shows them five things that happened <coughs> when you came to Christ so that you don't need circumcision. Uh, number one, you, you have he quickened, you've been made alive. Number two, he's forgiven you all your trespasses. I like the word all in that verse. That's a good one. That'll bless your heart tonight. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That's the law with all its ceremonialism. Uh, nailing it to his cross. So it wasn't just Christ that was nailed to the cross. The law of Moses was nailed to the cross. And that law that nobody could, could keep anyways was put to death. And so don't let, he's telling the church at Colossae from prison, don't let him try to drag you back into that law that was taken out of the way. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. I mean, just got a big, he just got a big Sharpie marker and just went through it all and says, you don't have to read that anymore. It's good to read. I mean, it's, but nailing it to his cross. He spoiled principalities and powers. That's all the devil and the devils and the evil human beings. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, rising from the grave. And so as a result of all that he did for you, all that we, we are complete in Christ, and what he did at Calvary, his death, burial, and his resurrection, he now says in verse 16, let no man therefore judge you <coughs> in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days. All right, you see that? He says, because Christ did all this, let no man therefore judge you in meat and drink and all these other ceremonial things. Don't let him do it. Colossi, they're coming. They're going to start telling you, oh, you got to do this and this and this and this. You got to keep the law and everything. Now, this text right here doesn't have that much to do with most of us Christians here in America, or at least where we live, because basically around here, there's not a Jew in sight. Uh, here in Eden, now, I don't know where you're all from, but... but uh, in our 40 years, we've had one Jewish convert. One. Bob. Bob Troutwine. Some of you remember him. I was with him when he took his last breath, went to heaven. Gloriously saved. He painted most of this church. And uh, it was a great conversion. Read the King James Bible through four times before he died. He got saved late in life. Came to church for I don't know how many years with his wife. She was saved. Years and years and years and years it took before he finally realized Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he believed. So this 
teaching tonight doesn't have, I don't think too many of you are bothered by Judaism, and we've moved so far beyond that. But you know, if I lived down on Delaware Avenue there in Buffalo, I would certainly want to know these texts. And especially if I was confronted with them, I would have to say, no, you know, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not supposed to let any man judge me in respect of a holy day, a new moon, Sabbath days, uh, meat, drink, all these aesthetic things, these, these outward ceremonial uh, religion, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So all that in the Old Testament was a shadow of things to come, which is, is Christ. So it had its purpose. And now again, he, he's warning him, let no man beguile you of your reward. I'm in verse 18, so we're getting there. Hang in there. In a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And so some of the people that uh, hold on to ceremonialism, ritualism, aestheticism, uh, they have puffed up minds. They think they're privy to knowledge you don't have. They're smarter than you. Uh, the Bible says, don't let anyone beguile you of your reward. In a voluntary humility, that's, that's this uh, self-effacing yourself, uh, self-discipline and so on. Worshiping angels, Man, there's a lot of that in Buffalo. Boy, and they love the angels down there, don't they? And um, because of so much Catholicism. Well, we've got to be careful. You don't want to beguile you of your reward. You want to hold on to that thing and get a full inheritance someday when you die. And so we've got to be careful. Those things, verse 17, are a shadow. But Christ, verse 19, is the head. And not holding the head, you know. I want to. I don't want to hold on to my wife's shadow. I want to hold on to my wife. That makes sense. All right, and and I think she don't want to hold on to my shadow. She wants to hold on to me. The real deal, okay? Not a perfect illustration, but you get the point. I'm not that interested in her shadow. I never have been. And all that Old Testament ceremonialism, it's all shadow. It's all shadow. It's all past. It's blotted out, nailed to the cross. I want to hold on to Christ. I don't want to hold on to angels. I don't want to hold on to holy days and Sabbath days and new moons and you can't eat this and you can't drink this and, and, and those type of things. I don't want to hold on to Christ. From whom all the body, that's the church, by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. So the whole body profits from the head. And that's the only reason your body exists. Everything from here down, right here, see my hand? Exists for one purpose, to do what the head wants. Everything. That's how God made us. Christ is the head. The church is the body. The body doesn't do what it wants. The body does what the head wants. To do. The head says, I'm going to play the piano. Okay, the whole body goes over there. And you start learning the piano. And uh, Christ is the head and the whole body 
is nourished by him and increaseth. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ, we're almost done from the rudiments of the world. Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, such as touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. And so we begin to see that this church is starting to be spoiled by the creeping in of Judaism, philosophy, rudiments of the world, vain deceit. And so this is why the chapter starts by Paul saying, I have great conflict for you. I've never been there, but your ministry, Epaphras, is telling me that you're, you're starting to focus on these things rather than on Christ. And again, we, we don't have a lot of problem with that out here in the country. Um, and so he warns them about that. And then let's close verse 23, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So it's all a big show. It's all a big show. Now we should pray, but it's not a ritual. We should fast, but it's not a ritual. We should sing, we should go to church, but they're not rituals. They're things the head, Christ, wants us to do. And uh, so we should do them because the head wants us to do them, but not because man. So, so we see here, we're going to see in the next two chapters that this is a great church, but boy, there's some things creeping in, and you've got to watch out for that stuff. And uh, we need to be careful about it, uh, especially... Uh, there's not many illustrations. I, I, I see a few people trip up maybe today about the Sabbath. You know, I, I've seen that a few times, but most of this stuff we don't, don't have many angel worshipers or anything like that we're struggling with. So, All right, thank you, Brother John. Appreciate these prayer lists and hope you'll take them home maybe. And then remember at the top, we got all the towns around us and all the souls that are living in those towns who want to be praying for them to have an awakening and to be saved and appreciate you coming tonight. Let's close in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for Bible study. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who still helps us, though he's with you in heaven. His writings, his spirit affects us. Help us to have great conflict for other churches, Lord, especially if we see him going astray in any way. And maybe, maybe we're hearing about a church with its music or embracing other translations of the Bible or diminishing its standards or something. Lord, give us, give us conflict, not gossip, uh, not judgment, calling them compromisers and apostates and heretics, but just, just great conflict for, for the issues of today, like Paul dealt with their issues of that day in our chapter tonight. Now we pray you dismiss us with thy blessing. Give us safety going home. Thank you for our guests here tonight. And uh, Lord, bless everyone next year uh, that we would be forward a year ago. Help us to walk in Christ, not just be saved. And again, help those at camp. Give them a good night's rest tonight. And just the mighty power of God to work in the youth uh, that come, keep the devil away, and uh, keep people from being hurt and uh, help the preachers and counselors and helpers and
We'll just thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.